If you are not a hiker because you feel like a little nervous, you don't know what you're going to encounter, you don't know if you're fit enough, you don't know how to prepare, you don't know what shoes to wear, anything like that, you are going to love this episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting feet first. You know, those things at the end of your legs that are your foundation. That's what we focus on. That's what I focus on. Um, Here we also break down the propaganda, the mythology, and the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or do yoga, CrossFit, whatever it is you like to do, and to do that enjoyably, effectively, efficiently. Did I say enjoyably? It's a trick question, and anyone listening to this knows that, because I know that you know that if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep it up. So make sure you're doing something you enjoy. Otherwise, what's the point? You know what I'm saying? And I call this the Movement Movement Podcast because we, and that includes me, I'm Stephen Sashen, CEO and co-founder, co-CEO and co-founder of Zero Shoes. Here's the t-shirt to prove it. Um, And the Movement Movement is a thing that, again, we are creating to move the idea about natural movement out into the real world. Natural movement is just letting your body do what it's made to do, not getting in the way of that, just helping it. And the way we do that is really simple. You can go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. There's nothing you need to do to join. There's no secret handshake. There's no song. There's no money involved. That's just a site where you can find the previous episodes, how to find us on social media. And if you're not happy with where you found this podcast, a new place to find this podcast if you're in for that. And all you need to do to help is give us a good review or give us a thumbs up or a like or hit the bell icon on YouTube or subscribe to get here about um, new episodes. You know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. So let us get started, Marcus. First of all, hey, how are you? Secondly, tell people who you are and what you're doing here. Good. I'm doing great. So Marcus Shapiro, I am a hiking strength and conditioning coach. I founded uh, fitfortrips.com back in 2009. And I also think of myself as a uh, hiking evangelist. Um, My current business model since 2009 is I wait for people to come to me who want to hike iconic destinations, whether it's um, whether it's Summit in Kilimanjaro or Rim to Rim Grand Canyon, Inca Trail, where, wherever it is, they come to me and they ask if I can help them get in shape, which of course I can. But um, as of late, um, I'm very confident with um, with the formula and the philosophy after all of these years to train people and get them in shape for hiking that. Uh, I really want to reach out to people uh, who are sitting there listening, your listeners, and say, hey, um, if you want to go on an iconic hike, whether you've thought it was um, too too challenging, I want to assure you that you can do it. And I have the tools, and hopefully that's what we'll get into very shortly. Yeah, what the hell? Why not? So, um, <laughs> but uh, So for people who are not looking for an iconic hike – who are just trying to get into hiking because, you know, it's, it's kind of all the rage since COVID. Uh, that's when people realized they had nothing else to do, but go outside. And if they could get a hike in, they could do it. Some people did that. Some people were again, anxious about doing that for whatever reason. I know around here, um, some people get anxious because we've got wildlife and they don't know which bear you run from and which bear you fight from, or which thing you, you know, okay. try to be big <laughs> for and which thing you try and be small for. And my God, I was actually in Park City, Utah uh, just last week and I, I couldn't sleep and I got up at four in the morning and started taking a walk. And the number of times where I turned around just to make sure there was nothing behind me was pretty mm-hmm. high because there's a lot of wildlife up there too. And I, I'm walking around during their daytime. So 
um, you know, people need to know what to do about that. So, but before we get into all of that, or actually, let me just leave, that was a really a long way of asking the question. So we're going to be talking about things that are relevant for humans, not looking for an iconic hike as well, correct? A- absolutely. Yeah, we're Perfect. talking, I don't care if it's local, I don't care if it's domestic, I don't care if it's international, uh, it, it doesn't matter. And oftentimes you bring up a good point. You just want to start in your backyard. Yeah. And, and just start there. Sure. I would like to walk on the moon. Um, just say, <laughs> okay. um, well, uh, so I well, don't know that I can help you with that, but you know, <laughs> uh, well, well, it's nice having you on the podcast. Really good luck. Okay. And, uh, all right. Great. Um, all right. So, 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 uh, I've got to ask this question. Where are you living that you're a hiking person? Because that really okay, happens so someone living in Manhattan. It, it would be tough, but uh, a lot of people in Matt, Manhattan um, also dream of doing big hikes like summiting Kilimanjaro. And that can be done. And that's something we can talk about. Um, that if you don't live where I live, and that's in just kind of north of Atlanta. So we have the North Georgia Mountains. Um, not too far from here. And there's some great hikes also along uh, the Chattahoochee River, uh, not too far from here. But people in Manhattan who don't, who are busy, who do not have access to um, hiking trails could be very successful on even some of the most challenging um, hikes. I mean, I lived in Manhattan for 10 years. My wife had never been until very recently. And I think on our second to last trip, um, we just spent the entire day doing Central Park, and there's parts in the north end of, of Central Park that you can make a serious hike out of those. I mean, it's it's really really fun, and um, and I think it's so cute having grown up on the East Coast and now living in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains that we use the word mountains for the Rockies and for those little things near where you live that uh, right. <laughs> never never use that word. Um, I said- <laughs> Are you saying something bad about our North Georgia mountains? Oh, my God. I <laughs> just kidding. I love yeah. the Rockies. Yeah, I love no, the Rockies. I, I, I was just out am. there. It, it's, it's kind of like I have friends who live in upstate New York who, you know, have a couple of, quote, skiing mountains near them. And then they come out here okay. and realize they had no idea what they were talking about. I get it. <laughs> well, get so it. then, but I am curious, you know, personally, just for the fun of that, before we get into the specifics for helping people um, learn what they need to do to prep and, and have a successful and enjoyable time. What's your hiking history? How did this happen for you? So let's go back to, uh, I guess, let's actually go back to the late 80s. Okay. Because I think that's kind of where the, the, the well, story if we're go back, begins. If we're going to go back, we have to do it. Wayne's you got the hair style. for it. Well, no, that's true. We got to yeah. do it Wayne's World style and go, okay. So now we're back in the, in the late 80s. Okay. So let, let's go back to there. So in high school, I was fascinated with bodybuilding, uh, working out. We had, think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had just won Mr. Olympia in 1980. And so there was this influence that he still had all the way, you know, through the eighties. And of course, beyond that, I I was just fascinated with, um, with working out, but, but not just that, but also um, kind of the science behind it, uh, the rigor, um, the discipline. So, so when I graduated from high school, I went to university of Alabama and I wanted to kind of continue uh, I guess that uh, that journey, uh, I guess, let's just call it in human performance. Um, bodybuilding was fun. It was kind of a hobby, but now it was time to think about what I was going to do for a living. 
So I go to University of Alabama and I'm, I study athletic training, which is kind of a misnomer. Athletic training is really, we are kind of the first responders, um, whether it's on, uh, on the basketball court, the football field, uh, the baseball diamond, whatever it is. So our jobs is more injury prevention, number one, uh, and treatment and rehabilitation was another, uh, you know, so, so that was interesting to me. So that kind of started putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So then um, let's fast forward to uh, kind of the, let's say, 90, uh, 98, 99, 2000. Um, I meet my wife, my current wife, in 97. And she had the travel bug, which I hadn't yet had. So we traveled to um, Africa. We did safaris, which... I'm sorry to say nothing will ever compare to the African safari. So I've already peaked in terms of my travel. But anyway, we went to Costa Rica and we did Galapagos. We did a lot of things. So kind of go back one second to 93. So 93 is when I graduate. Um, I start doing personal training. So that's about seven years to 93 to 2000. At that point, it's time that, that ambitious bug kind of kicked in. Like, well, what am I going to do? I can keep doing personal training. I love it, but I'm going to broaden what it is that I that I do. So uh, I could have done more what I was trained for, you know, working with football players and basketball players and tennis players, more of the traditional uh, sports. But having traveled, um, I thought to myself, I bet there's a really a void in this space for people who want to um, uh who want to get in shape for these trips. Although our trips weren't that physical, it was something that I was actually interested in getting more into. So I, back in the day, okay, so so imagine, let's go back now to, um, let's say it's um, 2000, let's fast forward. Let's go to 2006. And if I lose you, let me know. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know so, the, I don't yeah. know the Wayne's world thing to go from, uh, to go forward. I only know going <laughs> backwards. So we won't make any sound okay. effects. All right. So 2006, I really kind of decide that this, this is what I want to do. So I go online and I see what the recommendations are for hiking, uh, getting in fit for hiking, getting in shape. So I see online that they're recommending like three times a week on the Stairmaster or for 45 minutes or throw on a backpack and, you know, go backpacking, which most people, most people do not have access to. Okay. So that's in, that's 2006. So I then find some tour operators and I call the founders of the tour operators and I kind of pitched my idea. I said, how would you like, you know, uh, me to help your clients with getting fit for your hikes. And I had a tape recorder, remember those things? And I hooked it up to the telephone and I'd hit record and I would record our conversations. Wait, that, hold on. And the telephone, that's not the app on your phone. It's a different thing. It's the thing. Wait, no. did you have your phone sitting on top of what's it called? A phone book? Was that the term they used? Yes. Yeah, yes, okay. yes, yes. I, I use phone books now to step on and off of with with uh, duct tape around him. Dude, you know. I tried to find a phone book to do a video that I wanted to do, do about proper landing <laughs> form. And I had to get on eBay to find a phone book. So, wow. yeah. 
I don't miss them though. I don't know about you. Oh, I totally do. Cause I remember, just being, <laughs> well, I do, I do not, not for specific things. Like I remember being a kid and you could just find someone's address. So you look up their name, there's their phone number and their address. It was really, really helpful. You can't get all that now you get, you can maybe get their phone number, probably not because it's a cell phone and blah, blah, blah. But, um, I, I don't know. There's something like, I also miss having my world book encyclopedias, but that's a whole other story. So that is, that is, that you, know, is. It's, you know what it is? It's, I definitely, it's like going to a bookstore and browsing. So you can't browse anymore. And I miss browsing. Okay. Well, you know, anyway, that, anyway, that, that's what, that's what separates <laughs> you and me, but we have a lot more in common. I can tell you that. Um, okay. So, so you're making, let, you're, you're, you're recording <laughs> things on your answering machine. Yeah, because you know, I, I I need to go back and and see what what they said. Yeah, uh, see if I get any inspiration from it, and I quickly decide this is what I want to do. So, I join what's called the Adventure Travel Trade Association, and I go to an ATTA summit in two thousand and six to Seattle, which is a, an amazing amazing event, and they've done many since then, and they continue to do it. And so I go as um, as a service provider to talk to all the tour operators. I have everybody's name and all the, the founders and the tour operators so that I can, again, make my my pitch. So in, the long story short from now, at that point, um, um, I hire some software developers. I've got proprietary software that I'm going to develop so I can do online personal training. And this is back, you know, now we're more than 2007, 2008. I'll get all that done and launch in 2009. And I'll mention the company. My first partner was uh, Thompson Safaris. They're near and dear to my heart. So I have to, uh, I have to mention them. Um, and so that's kind of the origin story, me bouncing around everywhere for fit for trips. That's kind of how I got started um, with that. So I'll let you kind of take it. All right. So the magic question then is, what's the program that you developed for these people? I and mean, what were you, you know, what'd you learn from talking to them? What was the kind of key thing from listening to those recordings and what'd you develop and how were you deploying that? How were you sharing that with people? Well, you know, the tour operators are focused on selling and booking trips, right? So they don't have the expertise. So when they're screening somebody on the phone, instead of saying, well, you know, you shouldn't, I'm not sure that you shouldn't do one of our trips. Or, in fact, how about doing a lesser challenging um, itinerary? Instead, they would have, they would be able to leverage my expertise and say, we have somebody who you can talk to if you want to do this trip. So from there, there just wasn't that much information, but I had a good intuition on how to begin to craft programs. But so I think it... Yeah, so, so when you started putting that program together, I mean, I want to hear the evolution of that, but let's just start with what was the first thing you put together? How were people responding to that? You know, what kind of feedback were you getting and how did that lead to um, the evolution of it? Yeah. So originally when I first started putting them together, there was, a, it was very, it was very heavily strength-based, which was something I was uh, obviously familiar with. Like what um, specifically? But, um, you know, okay. So lunges, uh, there, let's think of functional type. Let, let's think of movements that mimic what it is that you do. So step ups and walking lunges, uh, even squats, which of course, sure. um, you know, is not, does not exactly look like something you would do on the mountain unless you have to go to the bathroom. 
Um, then you'd want to do um, calf raises and things like that. And of course, there was a, an endurance component to it. Um, so they would need to walk X amount of time. Um, they would use, they would do a lot of hit training and stairs and, and those kinds of things. But that's where the, it's really kind of evolved since then. And, and that's probably. So, I mean, I'm curious to hear it evolve, but, you know, before I get there, I can, I'm curious, what was your experience with compliance? I mean, you're telling people what to do. How were you? Were you monitoring that? Were they, you know, were they actually mm -hmm. doing it? I mean, you know, this is this is yes. always the the issue when you give someone an exercise program is yes. are they actually going to do it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, their motivation is a little different, and that is they've already booked the trip, right? So they have a goal in the end, and I'm pretty sure that um, you can relate, or a lot of your listeners can relate, and that is sometimes it's hard to kickstart a workout because you don't have an actual goal. goal. Yeah. So they have booked their trip. So there's a lot on the, on, on the line. So compliance for these types of people wasn't that hard. But with the pr proprietary software I had developed, people, I go ahead and I craft their program, okay, week by week. They fill in what they did. I look at it based on what they've done. Then I uh, will go ahead and craft, you know, the following week and, and so on and so forth. And most people I worked with, for about 12 weeks. So there was compliance because they, I told them what to do. And they had that, um, that goal uh, at the end that they were, of course, really excited about. And so then let's talk about, you know, the evolution then, you know, what you learned okay. from doing that in the early days and what it's turned into now. Okay. So it's, it's evolved into what I call the fit for trips, big five. Okay. So, it starts with walking, uh, walking stairs, and we'll get into the detail of each. So you want to walk stairs, want to walk inclines, you want to walk lunges, which is kind of a catch-all term for strength. Sure. In the legs, you want to walk far. That's number four. Okay, and then five is hit training. So I don't have a clever one for that. So if you come up with one, <laughs> let me know. You want to. You want to. <laughs> Uh, walk short, fast, and repeat. You want to lather, rinse, and repeat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So, how about I go into the detail of each of those? That okay? would be perfect. So let let's talk about walking stairs and why that's important. So when you're walking upstairs and you do it repetitively, you're going to develop strength and you're going to develop endurance. If your listeners can kind of wait, let me pause. Even yeah. when you say walking stairs, you know, if you want to be more specific about other than just like, you know, going up a flight of stairs, it's obviously different than just that. So um, say a little more if you could. Um, well, yes and no. You know, if you're if you you could literally just walk up and down stairs. If you're taller, you're going to probably want to take two stairs at a time. But what's most what's most important is with stairs is once you get started and you acclimate to the act of walking up and down stairs, and we'll get to the importance of going downstairs in a second. Sure. But once you acclimate to that, then what you're going to do is you're going to focus less on time. Let's say I've never done stairs before, so I'll start 10 to 15 minutes, see how you respond to it, see what kind of feedback I get in my knees and in my hips and quads and everything like that. And then from there, then you start doing it based on elevation gain. Okay. 
So I'll give you an example. If you have a, if you have 30 stairs to go up and down and they're eight inches uh, a piece and you do 50 laps up and down 50 times, that'll be a thousand feet of elevation gain. So now all of a sudden it kind of starts to make sense yeah, to yeah. people. You know, it's not just this rote activity of just up and down, which, which that's, let's just call that an evolution of it. Sure. Of Because as far as I know, on my website, I, I couldn't find it before, but I created, I had somebody develop a calculator for me. So that you go on there, you put in the height of your stairs, how many stairs and how many laps, it's going to tell you how much feet of elevation gain that you get, because that's really important. You've got to relate that back to your itinerary. Otherwise, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I, just, I, I just thought of the a product that someone should do, you in particular. Ready? So okay. it's an it's a augmented reality thing that basically uh, combines what you're doing, takes your stairs basically, and overlays on them. So you know you're using AR glasses, so it actually looks like you're hiking something. But the because it's AR, it knows that basically to put a rock where every step is, and if you have a landing, then it knows there's a thing. And what it would do is instead of just having you up and then all the way back down, and then all the way back up, all the way back down, you know, it could have you like go down a little bit, then go back up, and then go down a little more and come back up, go all the way down. I mean, it could make it could do something. But the fun part would be where it just doesn't seem as boring as just walking up and down your stairs over and over. So you're getting some kind of, you know, VR, AR thing. So it feels like you're actually going out and doing a hike. You could even, you know, similar thing if you did it on a treadmill, frankly. But anyway, just that's my idea okay. of the day. Well, I'll start with raising money now. So how much <laughs> how much you got for that? <laughs> perfect, perfect. You're my, you're my first pitch. Okay. Um, well, here's the thing. You know, I, I, I talk to people about that, about how, you know, that it might be boring, but everybody everybody gets it it's all it's a means to an end and nowadays yeah. you know people can throw on the movement movement podcast and yeah the stairs and what was i thinking of yeah you well, know i agreed all right so what's our next principle okay well let's talk about going downstairs because that's, oh, yes, that's critical yeah so so um it's it's easy to, to train i shouldn't say it's easy um the fundamentals for going uphill are aren't that difficult you just have to put in the hard work yeah um which is why people might want to do well i'm going to jump ahead so let's do this let's talk about going downhill people going downhill might feel they might feel less less sure-footed um they might feel pain in their knees uh their quads might cramp and so by going downhill you're developing uh what's called eccentric you know eccentric control so Every time you're going down the stairs, you are putting on the brakes essentially. So it's a different kind of contraction than going uphill. And you have to do, you really do have to do both. And I tell people, I'm like, even if you have one flight of stairs, it's really the, the, the carryover is really significant. Yeah. Um, and oh, it's important no. to do. It, um, yeah. People don't understand that, you know, they finish a hike and they're all sore. That's mostly from the downhill part because the eccentric yeah. loading is just way harder. And now granted, you're stronger eccentrically, but if you're not used to it, that's just going to be way harder uh, than what you're doing going uphill. Mostly in part because I notice when people are going downhill, they just tend to like throw their foot out, out and just land on it. And they're not really um, thinking about it like in this, I'm trying to think, this is going to sound weird. Think about it like the opposite of doing going uphill. So what I mean is when you go uphill, you place your foot 
then you change your weight onto that foot and then you press out. You're basically doing, you know, a single leg squat for all practical purposes. But people don't think about that with their, when they're going downhill, they just like slam their foot into the ground and then kind of, you know, they're not controlling it on the way down, which is putting even more strain. So that's exactly. Yeah. I I think a good analogy I've used before is, you know, if you don't have eccentric control, you're going to take a step. And then, you, you know, you, let's say your brakes go out and all of a sudden you're just going to go <laughs> forward and then you're going <laughs> to you're going to stumble. And so really, it's kind of a breaking. Well, system. you know, there's there's another one um, just from the people that I talk to where where we they understand the idea of running or walking and not overstriding, not putting your foot too far out in front of you, um, which means putting the brakes on when you're walking or running. Same thing when you're hiking, actually, if you're putting your foot too far out in front of you you're having to spend more effort to get over your front foot than having it underneath you. But even more going downhill, people will say to me, well, how do I, you know, not, how do I prevent my foot from sliding forward in the shoe or in the sandal? It's like, well, don't put your foot way out in front of you when you're, mm-hmm. uh, when you're going down, like put your foot underneath you and bend your knees, use your legs instead of just like, you know, throwing your foot out way in front of you. Yes. Um, and people are like, Oh, I could do that. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, All right. So we'll go to, how about we go to the second one, kind of dig deep into that. So we went from walking stairs to walking inclines. Yep. Okay. So you've got to walk inclines because you've got to lengthen and strengthen your Achilles and your calf and your plantar fascia. uh, And now I'm talking your language. So um, that's, that's very important. So there is, you can do treadmill, um, it's not so much an, it's not so much an, or, you know, treadmill or actually, um, hills repeats, mm-hmm. or if you're lucky to have hiking with hills, they're both important, but I would say to people, you you can diversify. Now, some people don't have access to hills and, and inclines, uh, uh and, and like hills and hiking, but. Um, they can still lengthen and strengthen their Achilles and calf. And that's, I think, a- important to um, to note because you can do stairs and you can get the ascending and descending, but you don't, you don't get that stretch on sure. your Achilles and calf. So if you don't do the inclines, you might hit the trail and you can develop some acute tendonitis or, 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 or something like that. That's, that's not cool. A- and the other thing too is, when it comes to treadmill verse actually going up a hill, you know, this we can work together on on what ground reaction forces are. Okay. Well, Explaining to well, your audience. But well, no, the, I mean, the, sim- the simpler thing is this. Talk to anyone who has spent the winter running on a treadmill, and then it's the first nice day and they go out and they can't figure out why they can't run. Now, there's research yeah. showing that the way your body is moving is fundamentally the same. But what your muscles are doing completely different because the treadmill, you can just catch the treadmill and then it'll take your leg behind you. You'll get off again. You're running exactly the same, but you're not using your muscles the same way. And it's kind of like, it reminds me when I was in high school, I was a gymnast and um, one summer I was at gymnastics camp and I broke my foot. And um, I'm thinking while I'm in a cast, I'll just do a whole bunch of strength moves which will just be great, you know, because I got this three pound, five pound weight at the end of my leg. And so I got really good at doing all these strength moves. And then when my cast came off, I couldn't do them because I could only do them out of balance. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so, so that then takes us back real quick to stairs. People ask me, well, Hey Marcus, well, what if I just do Stairmaster and you don't get those same forces? It's not, not the same, same thing. It's like the treadmill. Same. 
you're keeping up with it. You're not actually producing. You're not actually moving forward. Yeah. Like this, it's analogous to stairmaster versus stairs. Yeah. But there is a formula for stairmaster, by the way, for um, for elevation gain. If somebody has to diversify and say, "Hey, yeah. I can't get all my elevation gain on stairs and hiking," well, um, you, if you do uh, a floor, let's say you go ten floors on uh, on a stair, a typical stair master or um, um, a step, you know, the ones that go round and round. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You multiply every floor by ten feet, so hundred floors, thousand feet. Okay. FYI. Okay. That's important with the formula because keep yeah. in mind with hiking, we're looking at the itinerary. What's our elevation, total elevation gain? What's our feet? So that's why that, that that's it. important. Okay. So let's go to walk lunges. So walk stairs, walk inclines, walk lunges. So walking lunges, like I said earlier, it could be, um, it could be step ups or walking lunges. And the reason why that's important is because First of all, you want to work your muscles, your hips and knees through a full range of motion. Let's say you have to you have to step up onto a, a high rock, um, an obstacle of some kind. If all you're doing is used to striding on a hike or a treadmill, you're not going to develop that full uh, full range of motion and full strength uh, strength within that full range of motion. So that's one reason. And the other other reason is you have to be able to recruit that energy system which I look at the opposite spectrum of, let's say you go for a hike and you're going to do thousands and thousands of steps, but on a typical walking lunge, you might, you might fail at 30 steps. So how can, so that by itself can't be um, the end all be all. So you've got to do kind of both ends of the spectrum. So that's that. So when you're, so and then me, there, wait, actually yeah. I want to pause there. So when yeah. you're having people do walking lunges, talk about, I mean, People have different opinions about how to do lunges. So there's sure. a question of how deep you're going. Are you getting, you're letting your back knee like touch the ground? Are you not going mm-hmm. that deep? Are you, you know, not having your your knee go in front of your front toe? Are you, you know, keeping your body upright or not? I mean, there's just a lot of different opinions and thoughts about uh, about form for lunges. Do you want to talk about that, please? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So well, I don't mind somebody. I pr- actually prefer them to bring their knee all the way down to the ground. Back knee, yeah. That's where eccentric strength comes in because if you don't have it, you're just going to, when you do a lunge, your knee is going to just hit the ground. So you have to go, you have to be able to go down slow, tap your knee gently, uh, and then come off the floor. So I'm okay with that. I'm also okay. I think most of the time you want to try to keep your knee kind of, let's say, between over the front of your toe and ankle. Does that make sense? I think that's where most, more percentage of your lunging time should be. However, if you, if if you're as an avid hiker, um, if if maybe some people in your audience can imagine your knee, there are just times when your knee is going to go way over your toe. Yeah. Or maybe you're going to stumble a little bit. What happens when you stumble and you're, you're used to this uh, pristine form. So sometimes (laughs) you just have to, uh, you just have to, uh, mix it up a little bit. And if your knee goes way over your toe, sometimes so be it. I'm not think, very. I, yeah. I mean, I think the bigger, that. the bigger thing is people have been told, and I would argue um, incorrectly. So that if your knee's going way over your toe, that's a problem. And so there's a lot of people who are just afraid um, and not realizing yeah. that that's, you know, it's a viable thing. Um, you don't need to be afraid of yeah. and It's, you know, very doable. Sure. Yes. Okay. 
So let's go to the fifth one. So okay. now let's talk about HIT training. So HIT wait, training. Hold on, wait, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stairs, <laughs> incline, lunges. Do we miss something? Bar. Ah, Bar. good man. Ha. See, that's why you're the host and I'm the guest. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, wa- <laughs> walking far. Exactly. So walking far is important. I kind of alluded it, alluded to it just a little bit earlier. So you can't just focus on all high intensity um, exercises. Hiking in general is more of a lower intensity endeavor, but your goal is to make sure that after thousands of steps, you know, per week uh, and from week to week that you really develop strength in the soft tissue and in your, in your bones and your ligaments and your tendons and your muscles. And that over thousands and thousands of steps will give you more of that. Uh, we'll, we'll provide that for you. Whereas just strictly doing hip training, which might last for, you know, um, 10 minutes total, let's just say of, of high intensity work total, it's not going to work. So when I say walking far, a lot of times in a program, it's usually one time a week, like a long walk or hike on the weekend, whereas during the week, it's more of your shorter uh, shorter workouts. And that's just evolved over time because people are busy. It's just yeah, the way sure. it is. It's just sure. how it works, you know? Yeah. So okay. walking far. Okay. Number five. Got it. Okay. Hit. I was so excited. I wanted to get to hit training. So here we are. So hit training isn't always critical. Where so it is wait, critical. So let's, let's pause for the for probably the yeah. few, very few people who don't know. Hit H I I T high intensity interval training. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah. Hit training um, is. Yeah. I guess not everybody knows about it. Backtrack one second. Do you remember the rage, uh, the hit training rage, where it's all you had to do is hit training? You oh yeah. Do nothing else. Remember that? Oh yeah. Were you buying into that back in the day? Well, dude, I'm a sprinter. That's all I ever do. So well, I, I, yeah, don't, but, I don't. I don't do long distance. I don't do slow. You know, my workouts are all. See, here's my argument about hit training. It can be a really good thing, especially if it's not in your wheelhouse. So for the the people for whom it seems to be most effective are people for whom they're not used to going all out. But for sprinters, that's all we do. So I don't and and okay, I and true. my argument is that people who are wired for sprinting, hit training has no metabolic benefit because again, that's what we are wired to do. Now the other only other problem I've seen with hit training, I mean there's two. One is that um, people, when they try to go all out with whatever they're doing, their form tends to break down and they're setting themselves up for injury. If they're, for example, running and decide to start sprinting, but all they're doing is their bad running form faster. Or if you're rowing, I mean, my God, I, you know, I did a little bit of rowing. I watch people's rowing form. Uh, and it's like, no, you're setting yourself up for back problems because you don't actually know how to row. Now you're just doing it worse, faster. Um, you know, I just see things like that over and over. I don't know about cycling so much. That's a different story or can be a different story, but, um, but that, that, that's that. And the other thing, just for the fun of ranting for a second is that I hear people talk about hit training and they say, oh, sprint for 30 seconds, rest for 30 seconds and repeat that eight times. I go, well, if you're really sprinting, you can do that once, maybe twice. They're like, well, I don't mean, you know, you don't have to get the same speed. I mean, just go all out. I'm I'm not seriously. I don't think you get it like all out. If you go all out for 30 seconds, you should be dead and not being able to get up for the, you know 30 seconds later. If you can, what you're doing may be going as fast as you can go. 
but you're not sprinting. So, and you know, and you might not even be going all out, uh, but you're definitely not sprinting. So finally, there was like some 25 year old guy who was tell- saying, you know, sprint 30 seconds, rest 30 seconds. And I finally said to him, when you sprint for 30 seconds, how far do you go? He goes, and he says very proudly, 150 meters. And I said, I am well over twice your age and I go 250 meters. So whatever you're doing is not sprinting. Call it whatever you want, but right. not that. <laughs> he was he was a little upset. Good. He was humbled. No, he I'm was uh, he was he was upset. <laughs> there was no okay, humility. There is a difference. Involved. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. <laughs> so so hit training is most important, I would say, for uh, um, hikers that are going to experience um, uh, high altitudes. Uh, so okay. so there's there's a couple reasons. So one is it it helps you kind of tolerate just the discomfort. Yeah. That that comes with being up at high altitudes. You're, your respirations are up, your heart rate's up. And if you're not comfortable with that, you haven't experienced that before, um, you can panic, you know, yeah. from that situation. Um, and the other one is just from kind of a physiological perspective. And that is when we talk, you know, I've mentioned energy systems. And so um, when you're up, when you're up that high, there's very little oxygen. So to produce energy, you have to recruit, you have to recruit um, you have to recruit uh, the ability to generate energy in any way that you can. And I'd say if you've left out hit training, it's just one more tool in your arsenal, um, you know, where, you know, you have, it's important to do. So, um, so yeah. let, me, let me throw a couple of, a couple of other things in the mix to see what your take is on that. I mean, since you mentioned altitude, for any of the trips where people are going to be experiencing ma- massive altitude change, not even change, just you know, going to be at altitude. I mean, my God, when I first moved from from New York City to Colorado for the first month I was here, I thought my bike was broken because I just could not m- breathe enough to get any energy to move my bike. That's right. Um, do you do anything or rec- ever recommend things like hyperbaric or hypobaric training? It's not, it's not practical. I mean, I, I wouldn't discourage somebody from doing it. In fact, I just, um, I just started wor- working with somebody um, a couple days ago who's doing Kelly and they asked me that question. I said, look, I said, let me first tell you that none of my very few percentage of my clients ever do that. Yeah. Um, and they're very successful at uh, summoning um, Kelly and even, you know, ever space camp and things like that. I said, but, I said, but I don't want to discourage you from doing it. If it's something you want to do, it's sure. certainly not going not going to hurt. But you've got to do it in the right doses, and you have to follow the instructions. And you know, it's My, you got to oh, do yeah. it. Look, I mean, this was not this was an unofficial hypobaric uh, oxygen training thing that I did the first time I came to Colorado, and I went. I'm going coming straight from sea level, and I ended up in Breckenridge at about eleven thousand feet. And the second night uh, I was there. I just woke up just gasping for air in the middle of the night. And it was the kind of thing where they had oxygen at the top of every flight of stairs, which at first I looked at that and thought, well, that's silly. And on day three, you know, I had a long flight of stairs and I just needed to suck on a tank for a couple of seconds. So, you know, it was shocking to me. Um, All right. So then here's another hiking accessory that I'm wondering what your take is, which is poles. Yes. I'm a believer. (laughs) I'm a believer. by well, let's just put it this way. Um, yeah. Um, so let me just tell you a story. I never used poles. Okay. I never used poles until my last trip. Okay. So we went to Aspen, and 
I don't like training with poles. I don't like using poles. I like having my hands free. I can just crush it with my quads and my legs. And then, you know, I'm just like a, like a mule. I can just go for it. Right. And everyone else is using poles that I hike with and everything. And that's great. And I'm okay with that. But we were heading to, we were going to an, uh, an Aspen trip where we were going to do kind of a warm up hike. And then we we're going to do a, a Mount Sopers, which is 13,000 feet of elevation gain. And then we were going to do um, Castle Peak, which is 14,000 feet of elevation. Not no, of elevation gain, sorry, I was altitude. Say, yeah, it's not elevation gain, altitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good call, right, altitude. So um, on a layover, I must have picked up something, some kind of bug or something like that. So we do our first hike, which is an easy hike. And um, I'm feeling, it's supposed to be easy and I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of off. <laughs> um, you know, sorry, audience, I got to tell you, but you know, I've it got diarrhea. Um, I, I don't have much of an appetite. Um, but you know, I make it through, that's fine. But day, day two is we were going to do about 10 miles and 3,500 feet of elevation gain, getting up to 13,000 feet. And so I was like, I feel horrible. I feel horrible. I need every advantage I could get. Yeah. So we went to the local outdoor store and I got myself some poles and I learned really quickly how to use them. And it wasn't hard. And then two things got me to the top of Mount Sopris. One was the fact that I was in great shape. Even though I didn't feel good, I was able to kind of work through it. Yeah. Had I not had my poles with me, my heart, my quads would have been working so hard. My heart rate would have spiked so high that I'm not sure that I could have done it. And now I'm a believer. <laughs> um, and then definitely day three. Day three was 10 miles and we were going to do, it was about 50 500 feet of elevation gain based on where we were starting. And there's no way that I would have made it without the hiking poles. Here's just, how about a quick lesson for your, you your audience? And mind. that is the other thing too, and tell me if, I, if you want to ask me more about the poles, but I will say that if you, if you are sick and you don't feel good and you go on a hike, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. I'm stubborn. I was going to do it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But the issue was, is I was not eating and I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I told the guys ahead of me, I'm like, I'm good enough. I'm not mm. good. Don't mistake that for good enough. I'm not, right. not good, but I'm good enough. I can put one foot in front of the other. But I was so, I was back so far that I wasn't eating and I didn't know it. So you're supposed to eat about, let's say 200 plus calories every hour, especially on an aggressive hike, even probably even more. Well, I didn't have the appetite. I ate a little bit and I get to the top on, I guess, in, I guess adrenaline, come back down. And then I just completely, completely bonk. And I'm feeling very vulnerable telling you this because I shouldn't, shouldn't do this, but I'm all the wiser for it. So I feel like I should share it. I should have been eating. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. And I'm telling you, you should eat. Well, what happened was I couldn't go any further. Yeah. I had a serious case of hypoglycemia like really bad. Like we're talking waffling between vomiting and losing consciousness. So in that moment, I, I knew what to do. So I had, I had pretzels and I had potato chips and I was stuffing my face like the cookie monster. 
it just, you could see it, it just going everywhere. I didn't have the energy to chew. And then I had to drink water from my, from my pack wow. just to soften enough to swallow it. So I did potato chips. I did pretzels. I did a bar. I did two goose. And I did one pack of what would be like gummy bears within five minutes. And I laid there. And after 30 minutes, finally, I was able to get the energy and I was able to finish the rest of the five miles. So well, I just, just a tale for your audience there. Well, and this is Colorado. What was in those gummy bears? They weren't gummy bears. They were, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. But anyways, mostly sugar. There was some electrolytes in it. The sugar was the big thing. Had some electrolytes. You know. see, yeah, see, around here, gummy bears means pot. So uh, that's- Ah, yeah. So, so <laughs> you might have had, you might have had okay. a pack of something that seemed like gummy bears, and you thought you got down off the mountain, but you really hadn't moved. Got it. So it's Got entirely it. possible. No edibles on this. No, no edibles on this. No, trip. no edibles allowed. Um, no so, edibles allowed. So, do you want to give people like the world's fastest instruction or thoughts about you know getting used to poles? Because the first time I tried them, I thought they were dorky as crap, and then I tried them, and it's like having a superpower. But similar to you know having bad walking form, you can have bad pole form where they're not helping you as much um, as uh, or as well as they could. So, do you want to chat about that? Yeah, um, I think probably the easiest thing for someone to imagine is. When you're going uphill or flat, uh, you want your elbows to be at 90 degrees. Okay, so you would adjust the pole so that your handle, so so that your 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 elbow is at 90 degrees. So yeah. make that adjustment. Okay, if you're going downhill, you want to lengthen the hiking poles, maybe a few centimeters, and just kind of experiment and see how that feels. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. The other thing with hiking poles too is is you want to get one with a with a hand, with a, a strap on it, mm-hmm. okay? Because you can you can put your hand through through the top of the strap and then grab grab the handle. And what happens is the strap is underneath your wrist, and so you're not gripping the the pole with a, like a death grip because your right. forearm are way out. You can look almost just rest and push on uh, the strap if that makes sense. That's clever. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, makes a big difference. So um, I feel required by law, of course, to ask the simple question. Uh, let's t- well, I'll do it this way. Uh, rather than a question, I'll make it something of a statement slash command. Let's talk footwear. Ah, uh, yes. And I actually have, <laughs> this is show, you ready for show and tell? Oh, sure. You ready for show and tell? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, buddy. And you'll have to okay. describe things for people who can't see. You'll have to describe what you're showing. Oh, you're oh okay. All right. So I'm holding the, uh, the Prio here. Yep. Okay. Our zero shoes. And, and you notice, look at this. This is not a manufacturing defect. What I'm showing, Stephen, is this right here. Do you see that right there? Yeah. So on the so the collar, the part that goes around your ankle, yeah. the, the outside part of the collar. And yes. it looks like you've beaten it up pretty good. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, I had to write down the date for this. I've owned these since May of 21. Okay. Okay. And I wear them all the time. I should say, I should say that. Wait, wait, I want to pause and say, I did not know this going into this conversation. So this is not a setup just for this, but so anyway. That that is correct. So by the way, I use these Prios for everything, which we can get to in a second, but I also use them as my, I wear them around the campsite. So we were in the Chicago basin and uh, luckily it was, it was our last day and we were going to hike out. And, um, our shoes and our backpacks were sitting outside of our tent because we have small tents. We need the room and a, um, uh, we, we, we wake up and 
the backpack is completely destroyed. And luckily they only tore the, uh, the shoelaces and you can see this fringe right here. So they ate my Prios, kind of. Wait, what so was, I had, wait, what, do you know what they was? Who, who, it was a, I think it was a, I think it was a rodent that was, that oh, was no. getting the fibers for their nest. Wow. So those, yeah. so those fibers are still there. We have a pair of sandals that were attacked by uh, an actual Tasmanian devil. <laughs> really? Yeah. Shredded, cool. okay. shredded. It's <laughs> so, so anyway, so I love, I, I wear these, I wear these shoes and then you can ask me questions and we can whatever, but I'm just going to tell you, I wear the Prios uh, when I train in-person clients. Okay. Yep. I wear them when I do my treadmill work. I wear them when I do stairs. I wear them when I walk the dog. I wear them all the time. And then um, I would wear my trail maces for my training hikes when I, when I want to strengthen my feet, okay? When I went to Colorado, I was not confident enough that my feet were strong enough to mm. be able to tolerate the granite. And, and I'll say this. I had a pair of shoes. not going to name the, the manufacturer. We can do that offline if you want. I wore their shoes. And... In two days, this it sh the granite up there on those Rocky Mountains they shredded, shredded them. They were the the, the soles were gone. So anyway, but that's that. What do you want to talk about with them? Well, you know, th it, there's there's a couple things, about, and uh, I argue these are misconceptions. The first thing is people think when they're hiking they need a hiking boot for ankle support, and I say, well, if you have a shoe that's got a stiff sole and you step on something not centered on your foot because you stepped on something off center, it's going to make your foot twist and then your ankle is going to twist. And there's, there's frankly nothing that can support that. But if you have a shoe that's flexible, your foot can bend around it more and your ankle's not as compromised and you're fine. I mean, I never, I've never hiked in an actual hiking boot. Um, when I first came out here, I was hiking in running shoes because that's all I wore if I was not wearing sandals of some sort. Mm -hmm. And since, you know, we make stuff that's super flexible. So I've never hiked in anything that wasn't really flexible. The other part is most hiking boots weigh, a, I think the technical term, this is a footwear term, uh, they weigh a fucking ton. And so compared to our stuff, that is sometimes, you know, half the weight. And that's a big deal. You know, you're taking a lot of steps. You're lifting your foot up every time to do it. That's that actually really adds up. And people don't appreciate that. They also think they need a ton of cushioning and padding. And I'm not saying that you don't need some, or let me say it differently. You can get away with none if you really are paying attention to how you're stepping and where you're walking and how you're using your feet and using the ground as part of the experience instead of trying to get just trying to get over the ground. But if you're not there yet, if you haven't had experience doing that, then yeah, you're going to want something to take the bumps out a little bit. But I think that like in the running shoe world where everything has gotten super maximalist and tons of cushioning and art support and motion control, that none of those things actually work. There's an, an even more insidious bit of propaganda about what you need for hiking. And, and again, if you're not ready for it, that's one thing. It's like when someone emails and says, I got a marathon in six weeks. What shoes should I get? It's like, no, 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 don't do that. You're not ready for that. You're, or you're probably not ready for that. Switch to getting used to natural movement. And then you'll know when you're ready to handle it. You're going to build up your time. You'll build up your distance. It'll be clear. Don't have some imagined goal in mind that you think you're going to get to without having any information about how your body responds, how well your brain responds, how well your brain and your body respond, et cetera. So anyway, that's my rant about shoes. Well, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I prefer not to have anything around my ankle. I like having the mobility. Yeah. 
you know, the, so the conventional wisdom is if you have a boot, you know, you're going to increase the stability around your ankle. And that's, I don't think that holds up too well. I do prefer to have the mobility because it's just, you feel, you feel different on the trail. It's like yeah. uh, walking on the trail is kind of an expression, you know, of where you can walk and so you, you can take different parts of the trail. You can, you can do it however you want it and, and, and take whatever, you know, steps um, around things, up on things. And it's really kind of fun when you do that uh, and you want to feel, you want to feel your feet moving and not having anything around your ankles is preferable. I've worn boots before. And what I do is I'll, I'll actually just, I'll tie them, you know, I'll, I'll unlace them from the top and I'll go as though, as though they're a shoe. Right. So, you know, it, you know, anyway. But yeah, I agree. It's the same yeah. thing, you know, people who play basketball, they I need the ankle support. It's like, well, you may have noticed that with all that ankle support, still the number one injury for basketball players is ankle sprains, right? So it's clearly not doing the thing that you think it's doing. And in fact, um, Kobe Bryant way back when did a video talking about what he thought the ultimate basketball shoe would be. And it was a low top. And he said, you don't need support. You need to have flexibility and strength in your ankles. And of course, what uh, they made for him was still it was a low top, but then had everything else wrong about it. So that's a whole other story. Okay. <laughs> so at least they did that part. So anything else that you can think of that for human beings who want to take any sort of hike in terms of both either repairing or actually, you know, doing, I think the whole thing about uh, getting nutrition along the way, hugely important, very overlooked. Here in Colorado, the other thing, people never bring enough water with them because uh, they, they don't anticipate how much they need at altitude with how dry it gets. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a, that's a problem, by the way, your hypotherm, your hypo, um, glycemic story. I did a medical experiment where they literally injected me full of sugar and watched my insulin spike because they wanted to see how high it would go. And then they gave me a little bit of insulin to see how quickly I got back to normal. And I went way past normal down to, I think my, my blood glucose was around 40. And I, that's when I tapped out because I thought I was going to pass out and die. And I was, just, mm-hmm. I was inhaling orange juice and lean cuisine meals for like the next four days. My brain was going, you almost died because of lack of food. We're going to make sure you got a ton of food. It was, it was the most primal thing I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Oh, I can relate. It was very primal when I went through this. I don't think I, I yeah, it was, it was scary. I'm but, sure. um, you know, you stuff your face and you can get through it. You just don't ever want to get there. Yeah. P.S. I think the pretzel and potato chip diet will be our, our next project. So we have the AR VR hiking training and then the pretzel potato chip diet, which I know a lot of people would, I know some people are already on it. So yeah, just, a lot of people. Yeah. It's a good yeah, one. Absolutely. Especially the barbecue. Um, there, there's, that's a whole different game. Cause you know, then you're going cause you're effectively getting vegetables with barbecue. I mean, that's the way I say it. Let's go with uh kettle, Cape Cod kettle. Let's okay. All right. So wait, thin chips or thick chips? Thin. Well, uh, well, uh, crunchy, 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 yeah, like but, uh, like a kettle. Yeah, yeah, but you know, like if you're really going for crunchy, it's got to be thicker. I mean, come on. And then, wait, have you had Maui onion potato yeah. chips? No. Holy yeah. smokes, these things are crack. So Lena and I, we first saw them in Costco and bought like you know whatever you got a twenty pound bag, and uh, they didn't make it home. I mean, so I don't, I don't. They, they have some in our office in our in our kitchen. Um, I won't, I won't go near them because uh, I have no willpower at all with those. They are one hundred percent crack. So, all right. So one more potato chip question. Okay. So is it is it chocolate then the potato chip? Do you end with the potato oh. chip or do you go potato chip chocolate or chocolate potato chip? Like wow, how do you end? that's a good one. I I would do potato chip chocolate. 
Cause that way I've still got the crunchy salty thing going on in my brain. Yeah. Then I'm just adding that smooth, you know, chocolate part afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Why we aren't okay. just talking about chocolate covered potato chips. I don't know, but if I have to do it <laughs> okay. one after the other, then I think that would, that's my order. Okay. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah. So, all right. So anything else that people that you want to share that people should know for getting up and down the appropriate hill that they want to get up and down? Uh, let's see here. Um, I think the will to do it and, you know, just remember the fit for trips, big five, listen to this again, listen yeah. to it, you know, just do it, do really just get out there and find a, a local trail, something that's not aggressive, like an all trails app. Has uh, they list them in terms of um, uh, easy, moderate, and, and hard. So pick an easy one and just go for it. And go with some friends or maybe a local hiking group. Uh, and then you can get aggressive and, and and get in shape and find some, you know, make a bucket, make a list of hikes at some point. Go online. You'll see a million of them, the top 10 hikes in the United States or whatever. Build your bucket list. And then, you know, give me a call and let's, let's do this. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if they are going to give you a call or just track down what you've been doing, um, tell people, you already mentioned it, but tell people again how they can find you. Yeah. So I think probably the, the best thing to do would be go to fitfortrips.com slash consultation. I think the best thing is just to have a conversation. So I'd love to chat with you guys. Um, and then the next thing is if you're on Facebook, you could search for um, Hiking Training Solutions Facebook group. That way we can have a, a conversation. I moderate that and started that. Uh, a lot of other people chime in, so give that a go. Uh, and then something else that uh, I'm excited about that's kind of in its infancy stage is uh, our Badass Adventures Project. Okay, Badass Adventures Project. Badass Adventures so, Project, plural? Badass Adventures Project. Wait, yes. so Badass Adventures. Uh, yeah. Okay, Adventures is plural, Projects is plural. Right, right, but 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 we're, I'm just. This is just kind of a, this is kind of a tease. So okay. what happens? This goes back to what I said earlier. I'm you know I feel like a hiking evangelist. I want to yeah. give people the confidence that they can hike. So people come to me to 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 get fit because they already have a hike. Um, but what I want, what the the badass adventures project is about, is the desire to get out of your, to challenge yourself and get out of your comfort zone. That'd be the primary thing and say, hey, was well, a conduit to do that, we're, we're developing itineraries and we're developing training programs to go with those. So the first and foremost is, hey, I need to get off my butt. I need to challenge myself. I'm feeling soft. So, hey, wow, I'll use hiking as a conduit. It just so happens that uh, the badass project is the way to go so i love it i love it but i'm just teasing it we'll, we'll talk we'll, we'll okay they'll see that online at some point okay perfect well marcus thank you this has been uh definitely a pleasure and it, it has made me think of the couple of trails around here that i haven't been on in way too long i'm gonna have to find a time to do that before the weather turns even more it was 80 yesterday it was 40 when i got out of bed this morning i was not happy with that um and uh because i'm not a cold weather person for whatever reason even though living in Colorado, which is a fake out because it gets cold here and then it's, you know, warm the next day and it's sunny all the time. So you never know. Anyway, that said, uh, I hope people do um, uh, take you up on your offer to have a little consult and find out what new exciting adventure they can take that they didn't think they were ready for. And of course, you know, if you guys do that, let me know. And speaking of letting me know, if you have any requests or comments or questions or suggestions of people who should be on the podcast, drop me an email. I'm at move, M-O-V-E at jointhemovementmovement.com. And of course, feel free to go to join 
jointhemovementmovement.com or yeah, uh, jointhemovementmovement.com and find previous episodes of the podcast and other ways you can find us on social media and the places that you can get this podcast if you're not happy with the one that you're already using. And most importantly, of course, just go out, have fun and live life feet first.